I guess now's the time, Sean, to turn to Isaiah chapter 24. We're back on track. We've done all the chapters of Isaiah. We skipped around initially, and we've got them all in order now. We've done 23 and 22 before. We had to redo 21, and now we're doing Isaiah 24. So uh, go ahead, Sean. We're going to share your notes, and then I'm going to just a quick comment for people is the the in the blue are the verses that comes from the dead sea scrolls correct sean yes and uh your program the grammar check doesn't like the way that the commas and the and the semicolons are but we didn't put them there that's what the scholars did when they translated this so uh those underlines don't mean anything right okay and um if i have darker blue it's usually from other scriptures or quotes from other people so isaiah chapters 24 25 and 26 are often referred to as the apocalyptic chapters we will see a chiastic structure once again as we look at these chapters as a whole and that's going to be important because we i found in working on these chapters that really there's one gigantic chapter and they mirror back the message in 27 to chapter 24 and so we can Go ahead. If I can interject real quick, uh, maybe I jumped in too soon. I apologize. I've been listening to Avraham Gileadi's conference he put together on August 26, and he is, of course, one. He is the, in my opinion, the best scholar we've produced on the Book of Isaiah. And Professor Hunibly agrees, by the way. But anyway, he indicated that the first 30 chapters of Isaiah deal with israel before they were exiled and of course it all has these latter day overtones which is why we're covering it in the first place but do you agree with that general window that the first um 30 chapters deal with before they're put in exile by the assyrians no i don't okay Uh, this is a a different type of different window or things that I see. And that's why, you know, Isaiah's 24 through 27 are the apocalyptic chapters. This is actually, as I saw it, um, after the battle of Armageddon and the restructuring of the kingdom and how the people are assembling after the battle of Armageddon. So I think it's a very interesting group of chapters here. Well, let me challenge that for a second, Sean, because I don't know. I'm not expressing any opinion, but wouldn't the condition that the children of Israel were in before they were taken captive by the Assyrians, what led up to their captivity, you're saying that wouldn't mirror the time during Armageddon? Um, Yeah, but these chapters are looking after Armageddon. So they're they're seeing after the final battle and grouping the people together and kind of maybe looking looking a little bit back at to what just happened and the previous chapters were organizing in different ways, talking about groups of people within this and how they were challenged by the king of Assyria to humble them and to bring them back to God and focusing upon um, each tribes or each group of people's big challenges like Ephraim. You know, there was a lot of pride and and stuff with Ephraim 
and responsibility. And we spent two chapters on that. And then we moved on to these other people, like in 21 was tying up some small groups of people that actually weren't of the house of Israel, but they were good, righteous people. Well, let me suggest this again. I just want you to think about this. Pre-exile does not mean they weren't destroyed by the Assyrians because they were initially there. They were, they were, they were conquered. They were beaten and only a remnant was taken was taken or were scattered so yeah. uh the, you know the, it, it might be a parallel be, I, again different time frames but they were you know wasted before they the assyrians uh scattered them um the remaining the, the remaining 10 the 10 tribes were scattered a lot of death and destruction so i don't know maybe it is a, a perfect parallel but certainly apocalyptic because all these events now and just to tie this down again, we've said it before, but the Savior did not tell the people in the Book of Mormon times that the Book of Isaiah was irrelevant. These events had already happened, 750 BC, whatever time frame it was. All of this now is apocalyptic, which is, well, the, and these verses, like you said, these chapters are always the apocalyptic chapters. I'm not disagreeing with that at all, but it's all future is all I'm trying to say um isaiah right. is all about the future and it, that's why it's highly relevant to us today okay, and sorry. you know really craig you, you are a lot more versed in words than i am your background and everything where i'm you know a different variety so i interpret words meaning a little different so i you know without the complement of the two of us i don't think it wouldn't be as powerful <laughs> Well, let's read it now. Oh, you have one more thing to describe it about the three and a half years and then in red, and then we'll cover the verses. Yeah. So this describes the time period at the end of three and a half years of God's judgment, or in other words, the end of the seven years of tribulation. And as we're grouping people together and restructuring them, and it will mirror back to chapter 24 and chapter 27 here. Okay. So, so cool. would you like me to read the first 13 verses? Yeah. Okay, from the Dead Sea Scrolls, Isaiah chapter 21, verses 1 through 13. Behold, Yahweh makes the earth empty, makes it waste, turns it upside down, and scatters its inhabitants. It will be as with the people, so with the priests, as with the servant, so with his master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the creditor, so with the debtor, as with the taker of interest, so with the giver of interest. The earth will be utterly emptied and utterly laid waste, for Yahweh has spoken this word. The earth mourns and fades away. The world languishes and fades away. The lofty people of the earth languish. The earth also is polluted under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth, and those who dwell therein are found guilty. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. The new wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of tambourines ceases. The sound of those who rejoice ends. The joy of the harp ceases. They will not drink with the song. Strong, strong drink will be bitter to those who drink it. The confused city 
is broken down. Every house is shut up that no man may come in. There is a crying in the streets because of the wine. All joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. The city is left in desolation and the gate is struck with destruction. For it will be so within the earth among the peoples as the shaking of an olive tree, as the gleanings when the vintage is done. This is quite a big passage to go over. God makes the earth empty through the destruction of the buildings and the crops. He turns it upside down. Many people, including myself, have seen the poles reversed. In verse 2, we see that every class and type of people are affected by the events during the judgment of the people on the earth. In verse 5, we see the earth has also polluted under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. Transgress the laws. What are God's laws? The Ten Commandments are a good example. These laws are not new, but everlasting in principle throughout the ages. Violated the statutes. Statutes are a warning sign and flashing lights to protect us from making bad choices in our lives. And I want you to go into this in more detail, Craig, later, because you understand statutes a lot more than I do. Maybe I can now, do that now uh, after sure. you cover covenants. Go ahead and cover covenants. I can make a comment on that. Broken the everlasting covenant. This everlasting covenant existed in the pre-existence, and we all understood the power of it before we came to earth. In the Old Testament, the everlasting covenant is described in Jeremiah 32, 38. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that they that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. We see here that if we turn away from God, he will put fear in our hearts so that we might turn our hearts and minds back to him. Okay, so let me jump in here real quick. Hope I'm not jumping in too soon. But in my in my mind, Sean, when it says statutes, it made me think of they're breaking the civil laws, laws that were passed by the people, by the voice of the people, by the king, by a legislature. So they've broken down the civil, their civil disobedience, which, man, do we see that happening now? And then, of course, the covenants is more of a higher law. Those are God's laws. Those are the laws we make in the temple. These are the laws that hold us to a higher standard than, let's say, the basics. Um, you know, on the one hand, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, bear false witness. Those are kind of some of the basis for a lot of our moral code that's embedded in our statutes. But, you know, doing good to others, forgiving one another, uh, building Zion, you know, those kinds of things would, to me, be more of the covenants we make with God that are kind of on a higher level. So they're saying they're being both, be, they're both being broken. That's how I would, how I look at it. And, um, you know, I, I've read in other places and I wish I had to record them, but, you know, like it said here that they existed from the preexistence and we came here knowing them and knowing what the boundaries and everything would be. And uh, so Adam and Eve knew them and they were introduced to them. 
and we seem to over the time period have changed some things for our benefit and things but they will all be restored at the end as if they were with adam and eve so that we will have that fullness that we all talk about of the gospel and the fullness of the principles and what was expected of us from the beginning that they would not be tainted or twisted so therefore the curse has devoured the earth and those that dwell therein are found guilty therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men left when we violate God's laws and statutes and everlasting covenants, natural consequences befall us. A curse is a form of adversity or misfortune will befall or attach oneself after violating a law, a statute, or a covenant. A curse has affected the whole earth because the majority of the people have broken the laws that God gave them. In the battle of Armageddon, the wicked are burned. This is referenced in many scriptures. Malachi 4.1, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be a stubble. And that day cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Then in DNC... Can I just add a, add a comment there? Sure. Uh, when Moroni quoted Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, to Joseph Smith, he said, they that come shall burn them up, just so you know what Moroni said. Now, interestingly enough, when Joseph used the Urim and Thummim to correct the Bible, he did not make these that change. But that's what Moroni said when Joseph, in 1838, recorded his history. That's what he said Moroni told him. That's very interesting. And DNC 6423, behold, now it is called today until the coming of the Son of Man. Verily, it is a day of sacrifice and a day of tithing of my people. For he that is tithed shall not be burned at his coming. For after today cometh the burning, this is speaking after the manner of the Lord. For verily I say, tomorrow all the proud and they that do wickedly shall be as stubble. And I will burn them up, for I am the Lord of hosts, and I will not spare any that remain in Babylon. Then Indian C. 38.11, For all flesh is corrupt before me, and the powers of darkness prevail upon the earth among the children of men, in the presence of all the host of heaven, which causes silence to reign, and all eternity is pained, and the angels are waiting the great command to reap the earth and gather the tares that they may be burned. Behold, the enemy is combined. You so, know, we, we've just seen a, a major burning, Sean, with August 8th, 2023. Fires begin around Maui. Look what happened to Lahaina. I mean, just the devastation that burning can can do. It's really, we've seen, a, we've seen it in California. We're seeing... We're hearing accounts of burnings, fires in in Canada, but man, burning has just happened in paradise a few years ago. Really, you know, really bad stuff happens. Last year, you know, how we were visiting and uh, I was talking about the number of trees that have been burned in fulfilling uh, in Revelations, the 
and the number of acres burned versus the number of acres of all the trees is astronomical. I mean, the the fires in Siberia last year were huge and massive. We had fires in Alaska. We had uh, so many things happen with the like the grass being burnt up right now. The Panama Canal. We can't ship take half the ships through it because of the great drought. There's not enough water in the lakes to fill the levees because, and we'd never think of Panama being short on water or being drought no. conditions where burn up the grass. So, so much is happening around us. So, the new wine mourns, the vine languishes. All the merry-hearted sigh, the mirth of the tambourine ceases, the sound of those who rejoice ends, the joy of the harp ceases. They will not drink wine with song, strong drink will be bitter to those who drink it. Confused city is broken down, every house is shut up, no man may come in. There is a crying in the streets because of the wine. All the joy is darkened, the mirth of the land is gone, the city is left in desolation, and the gate is struck with with desolation, for it will be so within the earth among the peoples, as the shaking of an olive tree, as the gleanings when the vintage is done. So the word mirth is a word we don't often use in our day. It means gaiety, accompanied by laughter, like the joy we experience in the holiday season. In summary, few men are left upon the earth as the wicked are burned. The remnant, the merriment, the gaiety, the loud laughter are gone, and most of the physical things that brought them pride are now gone. So, so go ahead, please. I'm sorry. Um, once again, we see this effort by Heavenly Father to take away the things of the world that we've taken such pride in everything and give us a chance to turn our hearts back to him and totally focus on where all of our blessings came from. Otherwise, it would be unjust. So a, a couple of views, going back to my initial comments when you were reading, and I, I'm going to double down on this, Sean. Uh, I'm going to say it this way. As it happened to the house of Israel, when the Assyrians and later the Babylonians conquered them, scattered them, enslaved them, it's going to happen in a worldwide event. This is describing worldwide, and it's saying there's no escape. It's It goes through the debtor, the creditors, you know, the maid, the servant. No one is going to be untouched by this cleansing, except for, I suppose, those who gather, escape, uh, listen to the promptings or are living righteously this this same you know destructive power that the house of israel experienced during that time frame when they became sinful and disregarded the lord this is a worldwide phenomenon next time it happens yeah. and 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 to go one step further uh listening to listening to abraham Gilyadi, he said the Savior said, I think it was Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so it'll be at the coming of the Son of Man. And what he suggested is that the king of Assyria is going to be the flood. You know, he's one of the arms of uh, that God gives power to that we've covered before to, to sweep right. down and mow down the wicked. That's one of the two arms. 
uh, I think that's, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but anyway, he is one of the powers that God gives, and he likened the flood that he's going to cause uh, the king of Assyria with what happened with the flood. But I would also add to that, um, we also have a flood of knowledge and a flood of light that's described in the book of Moses chapter six, I believe, where the Lord says, uh, you know, he's going to flood the earth with like a flood uh, and it's all good. Right. And, you know, we have uh, Revelations uh, 13 that goes in and describes, uh, you know, this different people vying for power over the earth. We have Daniel showing different beasts they are vying for power over the earth. And we have second Esdras, which shows groups, three groups of people distinctly vying for power over the earth. And they all want power and glory unto themselves. So they're kind of fight against each other. And then at a certain point where the saints are crying out, he gives power to his right hand, which we're talking about here in the, with the servant and uh, standing up for God's people. So just maybe a side note is you just referred to the book of Ezra. And I think it's important for people to know that that first and second Ezra were in some editions of the Bible included in the, in the old Testament, but they're not included in the King James version. Correct. Yeah. They were actually included in most Bibles until 1860. So Joseph Smith did read them, especially like when he was healing from his leg, uh, when they scraped out the bone marrow, when he had uh, osteomyelitis or in his leg. So he would have definitely read that a lot. And they took it out because it was too costly to print the Bibles. The Protestants thought, well, we want to cheapen the cost and get it out to more people. And so let's figure out what books we can take out that aren't as useful. But Ezra is the prophet Ezra, and he wrote Malachi and Chronicles and Ezra and Ezra. So he's called Ezra the scribe because he wrote so darn many books overall. Did, he, did Joseph Smith uh, go through those two books when he did the inspired version of the Bible, or was he just looking at the King James with those excluded? You know, I don't know that for sure, but okay. I do know in the things when his leg when was healing that he, he read and read and read. <laughs> in his youth. Okay. All right, let's keep going. Okay. You want to start with 14 there. 14 through 20. These shall lift up their voice. They will shout for the majesty of Yahweh. They cry aloud from the sea. Therefore glorify Yahweh in the east. Even the name of Yahweh, the God of Israel, in the islands of the sea, from the uttermost part of the earth, we have heard songs. Glory to the righteous. But I said, I pine away. Woe is me, the treacherous have dealt treacherously. Yes, the treacherous have dealt very treacherously. Fear, the pit, and the snare are on you who inhabit you who inhabit or, or inhabitant the earth. Might be a typo there. You who inhabit the earth. Um, it will happen that he who flees from the noise of the fear will fall into the pit, and he who comes up out of the middle of the pit will be taken in the snare. For the windows are on high are opened, and the foundations of the earth tremble. The earth is utterly broken. The earth is torn apart. The earth is shaken violently. The earth will stagger like a drunken man and will sway back and forth like a hammock. 
its disobedience will be heavy on it, and it will fall and not rise again. In verses 14 through 16, we see the righteous remnant singing out in joy, praising God around the world. But it is said, I pine away, pine away, woe is me. To pine away is a word that we don't use very much today. To pine away means a lapse in a period of intense depression or melancholy due to one's longing or grief over someone or something. God is in a period of melancholy or depression because he's having to take care of the wicked on the earth. He It has drained God of his energy to see the wicked of his children destroyed, for he loved all of them more than we can understand. Then in verse 19, the earth is utterly broken. The earth is torn apart. The earth is shaken violently. The earth will stagger like a drunken man, and it will sway back and forth like a hammock. Its disobedience will be heavy on it, and it will f fall and not rise again. Earthquakes, volcanoes, meteors have shaken the earth that Yahweh of armies command to destroy the wicked. The disobedience of the peoples on the earth weighs heavily, heavily on Mother Earth. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken out of its place in Yahweh of armies' wrath in the day of his fierce anger. God will make the heavens earth, I'm sorry, God will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its orbit. It will be a similar experience as when his son died on the cross. It's the only way this earth could be sanctified enough for his son's return to rule and reign. And many, including myself, have seen visions of earthquakes, volcanoes, meteors hitting the earth. A meteor striking the earth causes the poles of the earth to reverse, and the earth wobbles into a different orbit. I think even in your grandfather's diary, Craig, that he denotes that and, and seeing that uh, finally a meteor striking the earth and the poles being reversed, and I saw continents coming together, and uh, just amazing as we were shaken completely out of orbit and into a different orbit um, with all this. So I have a few comments to to piggyback on what you said. Yeah, my grandfather talked about a later time when he saw the earth wrapped like a scroll and pass away and come forward as a new earth. But that, I think, is down the road. After um, but let, let me uh, comment on a few things, Sean. Let's talk about the polar shift. So going back to my 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 college days, I took a class, I think it was 1978 or 79. It was called physical science. I think it was 121. It was a requirement. I'm so glad we were required to take this class because it hadn't been that long, 20 years, that they had really perfected the science of plate tectonics, which means, you know, there was a continental drift. And what they found is that volcanic activity in the middle of the ocean floors was slowly moving the continents apart. And at one time, we were one big continent. I think they called it Pangaea, if I remember right. But anyway, uh, what they noted at the bottom of the ocean floor was that the iron ore that was coming out of the volcanic activity that was pushing these plates apart which would shift in uh, polar polarity. So 
at one one uh, one set of uh, you know magma that had cooled, which had iron in it, would be positive, and then they go over a few inches or feet, and it would be negative. And this was proof that the poles have shifted. And I think, if I remember right, it was like every twelve thousand years. Now I may not have that. That's been a number of years since I took that class, but that's what sticks in my mind. Um, so I also remember reading that even as early as the, as far back as the 1700s, the British who kept extreme, the British uh, naval vessels, I'm not sure if it was the Navy or just their, their ships that were British, they kept very accurate records of what was going on. And they noted uh, patches of irregularities suggesting that the poles were already starting to shift and they were getting polar readings of positive or negative in places it shouldn't be. And uh, I think, if I remember right, they even said in class that we're approaching a time when the poles can shift. Now that's going to cause, you know, a lot of pandemonium. I don't know if it causes the earth to reel to and fro, but I do remember when we had that earthquake in Japan a few years ago and they had the tsunami that went in and affected their nuclear plant or plants that uh that earthquake alone sean slightly tilted the earth wow uh by a measurable degree or percentage of a degree it wasn't a whole degree but it was measurable and uh you're right i mean earthquakes can affect the uh the rotation and the angle of the earth now to go further with that I've got some books by a guy named Anthony Larson. He's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, wrote the books back in the 70s. And he studied the theories of a Russian scientist named Belikovsky. Now, Belikovsky taught something that wasn't really popular, not even when I started college, which was um, catastrophism, that we, our Earth has had catastrophic events that have shaped its history. There was more of an attitude of uniform uniformitarianism that had crept into the scientific circles. But I, I've noticed in the last you know 30, 40 years, as they've tried to figure out why the dinosaurs disappeared, is they've located, it sounds like it's a fact, not just a theory anymore, that we had a massive meteor hit the Earth, right? I think yeah. near the Yucatan Peninsula, if I remember right. And they believe that that caused such a commotion in the earth that the major species were killed off. And some shows say it was because the temperature changed, all kinds of factors. But um, what Anthony Larson points out is he thinks, and he and maybe it's from Belikovsky, his writings, but what he says is that you can even explain all of the seven, I guess it was 10 plagues, that Moses predicted, or that Moses warned the Pharaoh about, he believes they all came from a meteor or a planet, I'm not sure which, something big enough to pass by the earth and leave a red tail and to cause the water to turn to blood because of the red dust. And, and then, you know, the water became polluted, then the crickets. And I mean, all the different plagues that happened in succession occurred because of the passing meteor. So we know that if a meteor big enough comes along, it can throw the pull, it can throw the, the earth into a uh, reeling to and frozen drunken man as, as the scriptures say, and as it's saying here. So 
lot of crazy stuff that we're going to anticipate happening here. Yeah. Shaking. You want, you want me to read, read um, verses 21 through 23? Yeah. Here we go. It shall happen in that day that Yahweh will punish the army of the high ones on high and the kings of the earth on the earth. They shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison. And after many days shall they be visited. Then the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed. For Yahweh of armies will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and before his elders will be glory. When will this happen, we might ask? It will happen when Yahweh, God, punishes the army of the high ones and the kings of the earth. The army of the high ones refers to, in Revelation 13, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a great beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns upon his horns, ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit, and shall be shut up in the prison, and after many days shall they be visited. The moon shall be confounded refers to a time when the earth is spun out of orbit after the battle of Armageddon. The sun ashamed. The sun is darkened from the battle of Armageddon. So in this, we can surmise, you know, we have to have the servant coming forth and give him power to knock down the king of Assyria to knock down the wicked one, which was given power to humble the people. And then these things will happen that we can see these things being completed. And um, once again, what we talked about, the earth being shaken out of orbit and the sun ashamed. And I did see a massive period and it's so hard in the vision of to put everything exactly in order because sometimes there's so many things happening at once that it's hard to collect you know is this all happening at once or happening in sequence and the number of volcanoes that i saw erupting just blackened and darkened the sky during the time of the battle of armageddon and it was just so blackened and and darkened it's hard to describe the the hundreds and hundreds of volcanoes I saw erupting at the same time and spewing into the air with their lava and ash and everything. Well, we're, it's not called the Ring of Fire for nothing over here in the West. I mean, if you just go to any earth, earthquake application and volcanic activity, the Pacific Rim is just lit up with a lot of activity. Um, can I ask you a question? There's verses in Joel chapter 2 which talk about the last days this is clearly last day material right. uh, it's, uh, and I'm just going to skip to Joel 2 verse 30 and 31 it says and I will shew wonders in the heavens and in the earth bl uh, blood and fire and pillars of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. So you're you're suggesting or you're telling us that 
what you saw observed was that this was caused by the warfare and the i guess the smoke and the pollution that arose out of those well also you know yahweh of armies is in charge here and he's commanding many things of the earth he's given power from god to command many things and part of destroying this like i saw this series of volcanoes erupting where the chinese had invaded and all the righteous had been cleared out of there and around different parts of the earth and these volcanoes and stuff wiped out a lot of this army invading army and everything and then of course you know there's the scenes of armageddon which are so hard to describe because there's nothing on earth like i've ever seen it because there's fighting in the sky there's fighting on the ground it looks like something from star wars or something with sabers of light in the sky and people fighting on earth and it's just uh the spirit world battling us battling uh resurrected beings coming back and battling where it's like um you know the scenes of the jaredites in their last battle fighting for the very end with shiz and coriantumer or the scenes in with Mormon and Moroni as they gather in battle on the Hill Cumorah and stuff. You know, I mean, every person is involved for their salvation and um, we're all in it together, you know. So the sun is shame. You wrote the sun is darkened from the battle of Armageddon. So is that a godly darkening or is that um, warfare darkening the, the sun or, or you're not sure if it's one or both? Well, it's so hard to discern in the battle because the sky is so darkened in Armageddon. But I also had seen these scenes of the volcanoes going off and, you know, parts of the ocean falling in and large numbers of people being killed of the wicked there. And so trying to discern, you know, exactly how this is all pieced together and stuff has been very hard to determine a okay. sequence of events. Well, let me let me just refer our watchers or listeners back to the Book of Mormon, which I think is in many ways, and I'll I mentioned this before, but there are a lot of parallels between the birth of Jesus Christ and what the Nephites and Lamanites were up to, uh, and all the stuff they went through, and when the Savior was crucified and what happened in the in the promised land the new world so at that time when the savior died we know that there were earthquakes tempests fires right yeah and i i assume that a lot of what happened at the time the savior's death is is happening during this time frame in the latter days this is too too closely paralleled and we know that there were three days of darkness right in the promised land we know that people couldn't even light a fire the scriptures don't tell us if it was smoke or from the fires or the earthquakes the volcanic activity we don't know it doesn't this doesn't explain why it was so dark and black they couldn't even light a light a light anything but right. we have to assume maybe very similar to i would say that the sun was ashamed after the after his people you know crucified him 
and the earth mourned and the and the, everything mourned. So um, I, I'm assuming that there's a very similar pattern with the Book of Mormon, just like with Isaiah, with these uh, latter day events. Is that is that fairly accurate in your opinion? Yeah, I actually saw that. You know, as we go into the millennium and start it, that we're spun out of orbit at that and put into another orbit, which helps us with the terrestrial state that we are seeking to live in and the earth being changed to that terrestrial state. And then at the end of the millennium, when we're finally have that grand battle there between Lucifer and his people when they're loosed and being spun into a celestial state in a celestial sphere, which is closer to the sun and uh, our earth being changed to that ball of glass like other Earths have been done in the past. And what I've witnessed is I've gone back and, you know, when I stood and looked at the book of uh, life there on that podium, and it was a clear glass ball below and see through it like a Yerman Thummim and, you know, look through that gold leaf book, gold leaf page. So... Let me summarize just an overall impression I see now as I read all this, which I touched on a little bit earlier, and that is that there seems to be this pattern where the Lord is going to deal with the Gentile nations, the Gentiles, in the same way that he dealt with the house of Israel when they went astray. And we see a microcosm because it happened to these groups of uh, house of Israel kingdom of israel and then the uh, kingdom of judah in the ancient times and we saw what happened in the new world with the tribe of manasseh mainly i guess uh in the in the in the promised land and these events become global events and i'll point and so do you do you, do you think that's for in your opinion do you think that's a correct um comparison to draw Totally. We've run in, this earth has been in cycles since its existence, even pattering after the pre-existence, and we just keep repeating. So there's nothing really new. There's nothing out of ordinary or unusual to us. It's all repeated in one form or another. Which is what makes the book of Isaiah, Isaiah so amazing, because on the one hand, he's prophesying the destruction of the nation of Israel. And I think he's also touching on Judah. But it's also completely relevant to our time. So it's a microcosm. And I want to point this out too, which is I find interesting. If you look at the time that the nation of Israel, or let's say from the time of, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe Israel and his 12 sons, all the way until the meridian of time, when the Savior preached to them and he was only among the house of israel he sent the apostles out into the world to preach the gospel to the gentile nations and of course in acts i think it's chapter 13 is the chapter where paul turns his attention to the gentiles because they're really interested and the jews are only interested in persecuting these these uh missionaries and disciples and apostles who are going out preaching the word of christ and so I think, if I, if I recall, when I've calculated it before, the Gentiles have had as much time with the gospel as the house of Israel, descendants of Israel had with, with 
the gospel. So there's a parallel there too, right? They had it for a couple thousand years, and it's been a couple of thousand years uh, since uh, since we've had it. And what have we done with it? Has have we corrupted it? Yes. Have we gone astray? Yes. Is it getting worse? Yes. So there's such a striking mirror image between the house of Israel and what happened there. And of course, we read that the first are last and the last are first. And we know that there is redemption coming. There's redemption coming for those who will, you know, join the house of Israel, gather with them. I just saw lightning out here. It must be ready to rain. And uh, there is the gathering of Israel, which is prophesied so clearly in the writings of Isaiah. Uh, I was just reading Isaiah 52 today where, you know, Zion will return. Doesn't say maybe the Lord's going to remember his people. Uh, just another aside, this is really quoting Nephi. If it hadn't been for the house of Israel, what would we have? We wouldn't have the Bible. We wouldn't have the Book of Mormon. All these scriptures and all the suffering and all the effort that went into these preserving these stories and the doctrine has all come from descendants of the house of Israel. Yeah. So we're, we owe them a great debt and responsibility to, to um, live those covenants. We've taken upon ourselves the new covenant. Israel uh, as a nation, the Jews have not. Uh, Jeremiah says, I think in verse chapter 33, that they're going to eventually go from the law of Moses to the things that Christ taught, but it's going to come when the restoration occurs. And when does the restoration occur? Go to 3 Nephi 21. It tells you right there, the restoration of the house of Israel, the remnants of Israel, the leftovers, just like here, we see these remnants being prophesied about the remnants. Um, don't get it until what the Gentiles reject the fullness of the gospel. And that's a loaded sentence. Oh, and yeah. we should ponder. We, there's so much more yet to come and so much more to be restored is, that we've lost from unrighteousness. So. Yes. Joseph Smith inaugurated, commenced, initiated the restoration or the Lord through Joseph Smith. But the great marvelous work that is prophesied in this book, the book of Isaiah, the great marvelous work, it has not yet occurred. And what I love is having our uh, recent comments the last five or six years by leaders of the church are really pointing this out now. When, when Nelson, President Nelson said the restoration has just begun. And I don't know that we fully appreciate you know what that means but wow i've got thunder and lightning i hope they have i hope the heavens are glad with this podcast because i've seen about five flashes i've seen the five lightning bolts through my uh wow through my windows in the last few minutes so anyway sean did you want to add anything else to isaiah 24 no i the one well i want to go back just briefly to pine away pine away and the sorrow of having to wipe out the wicked because they were all his children and the suffering that he saw, you know, here's everybody celebrating 
and enjoying this time period of the wicked being gone and the Lord is just mourning there and going back over, you know, creating these children and giving them this opportunity and seeing them make choices in which they could no longer be with him because of the choices they made and how sorrowful that is while everybody else is celebrating. And that's been a hard one for me as I look at that scene and see the sorrow there. It's affected me a lot. I, I can't imagine witnessing that. Uh, Enoch touches on it in Moses chapter six when he sees the Lord God weeping because the work the workmanship of his hand, those who he created would not choose him to be their father. And he knows the destruction that is coming. But based on the eternal laws, they they must suffer as he said and and you know we don't it's i just keep thinking about the word redemption uh you know we don't call we don't walk around calling jesus you know the perfect man the perfect person we don't emphasize his perfection we emphasize his redemptive qualities he's the redeemer i mean built into that word is the um, recognition that we are all sinners and we all need him. And what a fitting term both should humble us because we are in need of redemption and an acknowledgement that that is, you know, his greatest reason for coming to the earth is to redeem us. And uh, it's free yeah so thank you sean for those final comments that really brought it to a, a nice conclusion we hope you, you like this thank you sean thank you so much for taking time tonight craig and it's so always so lifting to do this together well as everybody can see on the screen uh sean has already generated notes for isaiah 25 so it's just a matter of us finding the time to crank that one out as well as i think isaiah 26 and we'll continue with these apocalyptic chapters of the book of isaiah thank this you this has been thank you this has been vision of zion and thank you for joining us we'll see you next time mm -hmm.